Hey, Nora. Hey, Sandy. What's going on? Uh, nothing that I'm aware of because I've been without my cell phone for a solid week. <laughs> Ooh, that's weird. What was that like? It, well, it'd be fine. Like, I've already deleted Twitter off of my phone, which a lot of folks know about. Um, if you've been messaging us on Instagram, I'm, I, I can't see it. <laughs> I, have, I, have no, I have no phone, and I'm just getting these messages from people that are random, and I'm trying to, like, respect them and be like... I don't know who this is, right? So it's a bit... I miss my phone. I miss my phone. That does suck. Oh, that sucks. Uh, well, this week has sucked for all kinds of other reasons, too. Uh, yeah, how are you? Oh, things... This was a rough week. This was a rough week. You know, the decision in the Brianna Taylor case really had me feeling so, so down. But, you know, I, as I always do... I picked myself up and continue to do work around trying to change the systems and the system in ways that I know are more effective. I didn't expect the decision to be anything good mm -hmm. at all. Uh, so, you know, it was more of a confirmation of something that I knew was coming. Uh, but, you know, uh, put out some some new updates to uh, the defundthepolice.org website. So for those of you who are interested in arguments around the police use of technology and in particular body cameras. That new data is up. And for those of you who have asked for uh, information to be uploaded uh, about how things are working in the Maritimes, in the West and in the prairies, uh, there's lots and lots more cities that have now been added. So that's really great. And then there's also been uh, this, you know, uh, Trump's just on all kinds of things. I put on Twitter, uh, maybe this week, maybe it was last week, I can't remember, uh, something about how, uh, you know, this country is really trying to criminalize uh, defunding the police. And I put that there because uh, for those people who've been watching what's happening in the United States or those who haven't, essentially where people have uh, communities have made democratic decisions to defund the police, uh, including like the Seattle, Minneapolis, uh, and other places, New York. The Trump administration is now um, naming those cities anarchist jurisdictions and uh, taking mm -hmm. measures against them, including um, refusing to, to send over federal funding and including... Um, such measures as uh, sending in uh, uh, federal officers uh, to, I don't know, uh, intimidate protesters. So <laughs> awful week in the continuing uh, fall of uh, the American empire. <laughs> fall, fall, double entendre. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yes, indeed. This is the kind of thing that you want to see five weeks before an election, eh? Yo, I have, I am... I have no idea how this is going to go, but there is no scenario which is good. Right? It's like zero good scenario. It's like Trump wins. That's bad. Biden yeah. wins with a, you know, a landslide. That's probably bad, too, because the Trump administration will be like the mail-in ballots. It was all a lie. And then, you know, the fucking yeah. armed white supremacists on the ground are like, we take up arms and let's start fucking trying to kill people. And then there's... If if Biden wins with a slight majority, in which case 
Trump will definitely be like, this isn't real. I'm staying in office. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> I just don't imagine a good scenario, except for the scenario where I grab my grab bag and drive to Vancouver. <laughs> <laughs> and that's, that's right, the good Vancouver listeners and folks all up the Pacific coast. Um, if Sandy needs you, you answer the call. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, there's a whole bunch of housekeeping that we have to do before we start this episode today, um, which will be on the incredible topic of the throne speech. But before so we- exciting, yeah. the throne speech. <laughs> yeah, but before we get to that, I want to just mention, and Sandy, I don't think you've probably seen this because I know that uh, on the on the the balance of the the tasks that we share on this podcast, I really get to watch those uh, um, the statistics of of who's listening where. And the past three weeks, we've had a spike, a really noticeable spike of listeners in Louisville, Kentucky. And so I want to, yes, I want to say if you found the podcast because uh, whatever in the past couple of weeks and you're in Kentucky, um, I want to say hi. And we are watching in Canada what's happening. And, um, you know, the, 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 the decision that came out this past week to not indict uh, any of the police officers directly in the death of Breonna Taylor was so disgusting and um, and I just want to acknowledge that that I see that folks are listening there and um, and and I'm so sorry. Yeah, and uh, to, just to put uh, one other note, um, just based on what I'm seeing in the news and what's not being said, I have one thing to say to listeners from Louisville. A lot of the the discussion in the media around what happened with Breonna Taylor has been a not surprising but still stunning. Um, uh, you know, like attempt from people discussing this issue to find a justification for why mm. this woman was killed in her sleep. You know, like it'll it'll be like, uh, oh, she wasn't sleeping; she had woken up. Yeah, she woke up like a minute ago. Does that matter? <laughs> Does it matter? Yeah. Yes. Someone beat down her door. She maybe woke up for a second, but she was still shot you know, while she was sleeping in her bed, it doesn't matter. Like there's not a, where people will say, uh, you know, someone shot first, who the fuck cares? You know, these people entered her home unannounced. And I don't care if, you know, like the, there's some people who are saying, you know, the police announced themselves first. Yeah. Like bang, bang police. And then opened the door unannounced and then was killed in, in, you know, what's apparently supposed to be some effort to keep people safe and apparently some effort uh, to keep people secure because that's what the police are supposed to do. No, none of those minutia, these minutia arguments have nothing to do with the fact that people have the right to be safe within their fucking homes. And there is there is no justification mm-hmm. Zero for uh, for what happened there, for 20 shots to be fired into someone's home, a fucking police melee. Uh, and there is no justification for making uh, a decision, not that the police shouldn't be punished, because that's not the decision that they made. The decision that they made is that uh, whatever the police did shouldn't be further investigated in a court of law. It doesn't deserve further investigation. It's not even a, a decision about punishment. And that is fucking disgusting. So, um, you know, welcome if you're here from Louisville. Uh, and I just want to wanted to add that based on what I'm seeing out here in the United States. 
Yeah, yeah. The the other thing that I want to mention before we get into the episode is that we get a lot of requests from people, a lot of emails from people asking Sandy and I where we get our news. And I just wanted to address this because I don't have the capacity to respond to every person that asks where we get our news. And so I just wanted to have a very quick, um, I'll give you where I get my news so that everyone that sends us a message, I see it. I see the messages on Patreon. I see it in the messages on Instagram. I see it on our messages on Facebook. Um, And it's just that there's so many, which is really awesome. We just can't respond to them all. And so I'll respond. Sandy, you can maybe respond and then we'll dive right into uh, this week's episode. I get my news from everywhere. There's no source that I would say that everybody should check out that you should be reading the mainstream news. And so whatever mainstream news is, wherever you live, I mean, for me, that is um, Le Soleil and La Presse and Le Devoir and the Globe and Mail and the National Post and the Toronto Star. I mean, I read it all. And the, the key for me is that you read everything and you start to identify the kinds of biases to expect when you're reading it. And then you can kind of put together that narrative that helps to describe or explain the world that we live in. I don't have um, a go-to left-wing place, I have to admit. And maybe, Sandy, I don't know if, if you do or if you kind of are the same as me. I don't. I think that what people are probably, um, like the, the, the question behind where do you get your news is like, how do you know what you know? And part of that is, is, you know, just developing uh, both media literacy and a critical eye uh, to what Mm. we're reading. And so, you know, I'm constantly listening to um, all sorts of different sources, whether that be the New York Times, the Washington Post, uh, CBC, uh, and uh, uh, where else, you know, like alternative media as well. Like I listen to uh, Canada Land, Democracy Now, sometimes APTN, um, like it. It really. It, I listen to a variety of things. I read a variety of things. But the the crucial piece is being able to see what's under the surface. And so uh, for me, it doesn't really. I mean, it does. It matters where you get your news, but it, not mm. so much. Like you should definitely support alternative forms, uh, sources of news, because they will cover things that the mainstream press will be slow to cover. And that's really important. Um, but, uh, you know, it, it, this is more like what you're seeing Nora and I do is uh, like we just know about how the news is constructed. We have enough literacy about the media to see what they're missing and to read not only what's being said, but to read what's not being said. Mm-hmm. That's a that's a critical skill uh, to develop. And hopefully we can help you all do this. While like if you're reading the news and you heard about something, but you didn't hear about it in the way that we discuss it, that's, you know, hopefully going to help you folks to, to, to um, develop uh, the skill to read what's not on the page or to listen to what's not there. I like radio. Radio is one of my favorite places to get news. Uh, but Well, that's because you don't have CBC always in your in your ear <laughs> anymore. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's true. But I do I do listen to CBC yeah. still. I still do. I, I It's just important to know uh, the, the type of news that a lot of people uh, across the country are going to be getting. Totally. You know, I think it's it's important to know that. Yeah. And so, you know, as Sandy said, it's important to support uh, the the alternative sites that you like to read and that you enjoy listening to. And so in that vein, we'll say a quick thank you to everyone that supports sh- the show every single week, if you share it or if you recommend it to friends. Uh, and in this past week, we want to shout out Catherine 
Sasha, Lane, Lloyd, Warren, Nancy, Andrew, Juliana, Rebecca, Sarah, and Colin. Thank you so, so much. And don't forget that if you do donate to us and you're afraid that I'm going to get your name wrong, just you can totally send us a note. I will see it. I will make sure I pronounce your name correctly. Okay. That's the housekeeping. Now to the bathroom, the most important place in the house with the throne. (laughs) The throne speech. It was riveting. (laughs) It was enthralling. It was followed up by a national address from from Trudeau. (laughs) It had all the action. (laughs) Everything is about to change. Oh, yeah. Not at all. No. <laughs> Although, what we should say is that uh, Sandy and Nora, yet again, <laughs> are right on our prediction for what the government would focus on in the fall. So we said it probably like way back in what? what how early ago did we say this? April? May? Oh, no. Oh, maybe. I don't know. I, I definitely remember talking about it a lot in July, but probably earlier. Yeah. Yeah. That the government would be focusing on uh, some sort of uh, child care system. And uh, that was uh, clearly the, uh, the, the biggest news out of this really lackluster <laughs> throne speech. First of all, journalists that spent so much time talking about the address after the throne speech, I mean, it was so obvious that when you have an embittered, embattled governor general that Trudeau was going to try and take control of the message in case there was some sort of weird thing that happened. Because, of course, Julie Payette has the right to add kind of goofy kind of comments, which she did. I think um, one of the one of the introductions she probably added this year about how Canadians are like reeds bending in the wind and we cannot be broken by that by that wind. It was like very cheesy. Yeah, poetic. It was very grade seven poetic, I guess. And it's fucking weird, right? If you you think that someone who's like literally seen the earth from space would be more poetic than that. But fuck, maybe not. (laughs) So that was the big story that the that the that journalists really kind of captured. And then, of course, this whole discussion of childcare. And what I thought was very interesting was there was so much attention in the lead up to a universal basic income. And that didn't materialize. I mean, like, were liberal insiders just playing their liberal journalist contacts? Or what do you think happened there? I don't know. But I I also just think that, God, the liberals are just so committed to the most confusing way to address any issue. <laughs> so it's like, <laughs> will we give you a universal basic income? No, despite everyone who works for us setting up that conversation. However, what we will give you is a whole new program, everybody. It is called the Canada Recovery Benefit. And so that's going to be added to the Employment Insurance Program, the Canada Recovery Sickness Benefit, the Canada Recovery Caregiving Benefit, and the Canada uh, Recovery Student or the Canada Emergency Student Benefit. Sorry, there's just so many of these things (laughs) that it's difficult to get all the names right. Uh, And they are closing the Canada Emergency Response Benefit. And so 
just like before, are there going to be weird hoops that you need to jump through? Well, the legislation isn't around yet, but you bet that it is likely going to be (laughs) that way. There's already some stuff up on their website about uh, different hurdles that you need to jump through in order to be eligible, and the legislation hasn't even passed yet. So (laughs) there you have it. Uh, The the liberals have committed to continuing to implement extremely confusing programs uh, for people with respect to COVID. So um, not much change there. No. And what I found the most kind of offensive, I think, from the way that they delivered this was their promise to to change CERB into EI. Like, first of all, CERB was the only individual-based aid program that doesn't go through your your employer or that doesn't go through to corporations. And I just found it so offensive that that's the program that they're fucking with. Like, they're not fucking with uh, the wage subsidy. They're not fucking with the business loans and business supports. They're fucking with what directly is helping individual people. And, like, that just speaks so loudly of the priorities of the liberals, which is that they don't actually care about average people. They care about businesses and they, they care about average people insofar as they are units of, uh, of a corporation or relying on the benevolence of a corporation to not lay them off. And like there, there's a pretty profound difference in, in, in helping people directly versus helping people through their employers, because of course it makes you then dependent on your employer. And so the folks who are on CERB, like they have, had employers who, for whatever reason, did not keep them on the payroll, whether or not they had to close up shop entirely or they laid people off or people were in the middle of a job search and they just couldn't get that job. That's 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 where you find yourself unserved. But for so many other people, like you're being strung along by 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 your employer or your former employer who's being paid by the government to keep you on payroll. And it's a very inefficient and fucked up way to dole out aid in this country. So that's like my one big problem with how the, the throne speech and, and really the approach to the liberals has happened uh, this this far. And then the other thing that was very strange was, you know, the throne speech was delivered on uh, Wednesday, I believe, or maybe it was Tuesday. Fuck, the days are all the same and you're all listening like in another week. So like, who even cares? But 24 hours later, they then announced after negotiations potentially with the NDP that they were going to ensure the same amount of money that was promised through CERB would be going through EI. And so then it's like, why in the fuck was that not announced in the throne speech? Why did that take 24 hours later? Like, were they planning to play this game to like, quote unquote, negotiate with the NDP to avoid an election? Or was it really something that they wanted out of the throne speech? They wanted to either quietly or not quietly, they could decide after because it's a separate kind of piece that they were implementing the day after. It just seemed so bizarre to to have had this additional massively important decision, which is to maintain the levels of CERB for people who will be transitioned onto EI, be announced completely outside of the throne speech or of, you know, the parliamentary procedure, even though it's totally weird right now. I, I, I just thought that that spoke volumes of where the priorities of the liberals are right now. The throne speech read to me like a weird liberal acknowledgement of all of the things uh, that that people in Canada are currently frustrated and upset about with zero commitment to anything, (laughs) to do anything about any of it. It was, uh, it was very strange. It was very much the type of Mm. uh, like 
ah, yes, we, we hear you. We need to work harder on reconciliation. And we will. Yeah. And we absolutely will. Ah, uh, yes, we hear you. We, you, you need more, more measures with respect to our health care, like Pharmacare, which, you know, we, we did promise Pharmacare multiple times. And we will continue to promise Pharmacare <laughs> because we know that that's what you need promises it, it's just like and oh the climate oh my goodness we know that canadians are so upset about the climate and so guess what we got tax breaks we got tax breaks for people who need <laughs> it uh, who are who are coming in here with energy efficient and emissions zero businesses tax breaks and also we will continue to do uh what we need to do we will pass legislation uh to to that shows our commitment to implementing the uh declaration on the rights of indigenous people and oh yes we hear you black canadians and that's why as you heard a couple weeks ago we're giving you this entrepreneurship loan uh and also uh, we are going to spend a whole bunch of cash, probably, uh, making a civilian oversight body for the RCMP, which is exactly what you didn't ask for. But we're acknowledging the fact that you're upset. So there you go. <laughs> Be happy. We're like, what the fuck is going on? <laughs> Jesus. Well, and especially that last promise is is actually so rich because they promised to do this in their first mandate. And if you look at the, the, the parliamentary procedure of, of creating oversight to, I believe it was not just RCMP, but also Canada Border Services Agency. And, and, and Bill Blair was like, we're going to do this. We're going to do this. We're going to do this. And they couldn't get the fucking legislation passed themselves. Like it, it died every single time they introduced it because they ran out of parliamentary time or whatever. And so you're right. It really is this laundry list of their failures Yes. Like masquerading yes. as we're going to do it. And and one of the things I just love the most, it was like, we're going to make a million jobs. And I was like, is that like the same kind of million jobs? Like you were going to plant two billion trees or is that like different? Like, are you going to actually do something? I, I, I thought it was very like, considering we are in the middle of a pandemic and people, uh, you know, the, the second wave has taken really strong force in a lot of parts of this country, including where I live. I thought that there'd be a lot more um, bold on pandemic related promises. And it's pretty light. I mean, this could have been a budget that they passed in May. Like there's really Absolutely. no evolution uh, of the thought. And, and then I'll just finish this little thought with this hilarious piece. I don't know if you caught this, but the the speech started off with talking about how it had four foundations in it. I just love that. It's like, there's no house that has four foundations. <laughs> you have one. <laughs> you only have a single foundation. You might have pillars. You might have beams. You might have supports. <laughs> We have fucking four foundations. What the fuck? <laughs> yeah, I, I, you know, I was actually quite disappointed uh, with the way that the opposition parties addressed the throne speech, given how bullshit it was. It was like it, it felt like something that could have obviously been attacked because and I think perhaps uh, Jugmeet did the best job of it. Yeah. But of pointing out, hey, yeah, they promised this shit before uh, with respect to Pharmacare anyway. Um but it, it, it is like it is a essentially a laundry list of their failures. And I haven't seen anybody <laughs> talk about it that way. Um, yeah. And the thing that the idea that then Justin Trudeau 
would show up for some weird American style national address where he said literally nothing. Like there was nothing that was said. It was nothing more than I suppose an uh, a pre-election campaign uh, situation just in case things went poorly because there was there was nothing in there that was about what he said it was going to be about. It was like, this is a really important time for the prime minister to address the nation because of uh, COVID and the spread and whatever. But it was like, here are all of the things that we've done. It was like a redux of this, the throne speech with with not much uh, attached to it that was, that was different. In fact, I can't mm-hmm. really think of anything that was different. Um, they didn't, he didn't even lead with their, their biggest promises in, in, in a big way. It was just flat, like the, like the throne speech, which is maybe just what's going on in the liberal party these, these days. Well, he did say the words she session though. Oh no, no. Julie Payette said that. (laughs) Gross. Yeah, I think that um, if you look at the the issues that are, that are the most pressing based on like what's happening right now in Canada, I think you get a really good example of how disappointing so much of this is. And the issues that I'm thinking about are um, their promises related to reconciliation and their promises related to addressing systemic racism. And so under reconciliation, I mean, this is a government that has had the report uh, from the inquiry into murder to missing Indigenous girls and women for more than a year. And they have done nothing on it. Like, nothing Zero. with it. And so they have the gall to say that one of their promises is to accelerate work on the National Action Plan in response to National Inquiry. Acceler- it's like, how do you accelerate zero? Like, last time I checked, you couldn't multiply zero by anything and get a number. Um, you can you you absolutely can't. The number will be zero. <laughs> right. Right. Thank you. So they're they're probably being accurate. Right. Exactly. No, exactly. And then <laughs> and then they and then it's also like this line, like make additional resiliency investments to meet clean drinking water commitments in First Nations communities. Like what the fuck kind of language is that? Resiliency investments? Do you mean su- sustainable infrastructure? Like when would they talk about any municipal infrastructure project by calling it a resiliency investment, you know, it just like smacks of smug liberalness and makes me want to vomit. And I hate it. Um, And then the part on on systemic racism. I mean, uh, we we talked last week about is white supremacy accelerating. And in, in the period of time between us fucking launching, like recording and then releasing the episode, there was a rally in Red Deer, Alberta that, you know, there are videos from it that went viral. And the the rally was like an anti-racism rally. Then they were confronted by full-on racists and the RCMP was like, yeah, whatever. Like, they all have legitimate things to say on either side. And then there's the story of this individual in Ottawa who's been sleeping at the War Memorial and has been like trying to place a bunch of people under citizen's arrest. And so we, <laughs> this week tried to place who we thought was a block MP, Mario Bollier, under citizen's arrest. And then the day after did the same thing to Jagmeet Singh. Uh, and, you know, they got ties, very clear ties to the to the far right. And so it's like, OK, so this is a serious problem. And what what is the liberal government going to do about this stuff? Oh, they're going to take action on online hate, which is like such a meaningless fucking bunch of words. And 
that is it. That is it. I mean, other than that, they're talking about, um, you know, trying to increase representation within the public service, which is like basic, like bars on the floor level shit. Uh, go further on economic empowerment for specific communities, whichever communities that might be, and take new steps to support the artistic and economic contributions of Black Canadian culture and heritage. But like this call that we had last week where we're like, what in the fuck are they going to do to stop the rise of white supremacy? I mean, this throne speech, some people said, oh, they, they talked about it. They actually did try to address online hate. And it's like, no, they didn't. No, they didn't. <laughs> Taking action on online hate is fucking meaningless. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it's funny because it, like all of these things in the throne speech start out with like the government will do this by and then they they describe these things that have zero how in it. Like it, none of these <laughs> things answer the right. question of how it's like, you know, we're going to take action on online hate. How the fuck are you going to do that? What the fuck does that mean? Like, are you going to have a plan? to address white supremacy? Can you even say white supremacy? No, you've just you've just referred to some amorphous thing called online hate. Be clear about what the fuck you're talking about here. And the fact that they're not being clear about it means that they can appeal to uh to communities that we might be thinking are laying out that online hate because as someone who is online often <laughs> and the black lives matter activists i can tell you that a lot of people um who who come to to uh to criticize us online uh criticize being a really soft term for the type of shit i'm talking about like really harass us accuse us of hate of online mm. hate and so by using this language what they are doing is uh, very clearly attempting to appeal to to both uh, the right uh, and uh, like the heinous right, the alt right, the white supremacists uh, and uh, regular fucking people and good people like the people who listen to this podcast. They're trying to <laughs> to appeal to all of those people. I also uh, I mean, the only good thing about uh, this part of the speech, I think, is the whole they're they're saying that they're going to finally collect disaggregated data they, mm -hmm. they don't say exactly how they're going to do it but it's like if statscan is finally going to give us race uh, based data like that would be great of course they do give us some of that stuff but not in a wide way so it's it's good if that's what they're going to do it's useful to have information but we need uh so much more from our government you know like they're, they're saying uh that they are uh what's the what's the language here i'm going to find it with respect to them talking about black canadians which is also a shift right the fact that the government is acknowledging that black canadians exist is <laughs> A massive shift, mm. <laughs> but which means that they know that they have to. Yeah. They know that they can't uh, ignore this uh, community that has done so much uh, to educate uh, folks, especially in the last few months, about the, the ways that the, the system um, in uh, particular is um, degrading to black people and indigenous people. They know that they have to acknowledge us in a way. Um, but, but, but the way that they have done that is bullshit and we should call them out for it. So it says, you know, black Canadians and indigenous people are overrepresented in the criminal justice system. And that has to change. Awesome. How are you going <laughs> to yeah. do that? They're like, yeah. we will take steps. Great. What are the steps? We will introduce, uh, legislation, um, to address inequities in the criminal justice system, including sentencing and rehabilitation records. 
okay, <laughs> what does that mean? Yeah. <laughs> we will move forward on civilian oversight of law enforcement agencies, including the RCMP. We didn't ask for that. Cool. We will modernize training for police and law enforcement, including dressing standards around the use of force. And that right there uh, is also in, just so folks know, in the NDP policy, in the federal NDP policy, to modernize training and include, like, address all of this stuff around use of force with a shift towards community-led policing. That is language that is both in the throne speech and language that is in the NDP a uh, uh, policy document, all of that spells give the police a ton of money. Yeah. To do shit that's already been tried, to do shit that we know doesn't work, and to do shit that literally nobody was asking for. So they've acknowledged that we have been uh, demanding change, but they do exactly the opposite of what we've said needs to be done in order to provide uh uh, safety and security systems that don't target and interrupt the lives of indigenous and black people. And that's fucking shameful. Well, and the way that they do it is so double speaky. Um, and so, I mean, this might be a bit of an episode where we're really in the weeds on how political rhetoric happens. And I hope that people find this useful because I think it's, I think it's actually quite informative for how liberals think, right? So under the section called Addressing Systemic Racism. So this is above, Sandy, what you just read uh, related to policing and security. And the way that they introduce this, it's just, <laughs> I mean, I, I, I hope someone will leak me the name of who wrote this someday just so I can like put them on one of my lists. But it says, we know that racism did not take a pause during the pandemic. On the contrary, COVID-19 has hit racialized Canadians especially hard. So then you're like, oh, cool. So you're going to offer like more money and supports for communities to fight COVID who are racialized? Oh, no, 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 no. There's no comment that has anything to do with that. Next is that many people, especially Indigenous people and Black and racialized Canadians, have raised their voices and stood up to demand change. They are telling us we must do more. The government agrees. <laughs> I mean, okay. And then they then they actually talk actually, about Actually we were being very specific about what we were telling you, but cool. <laughs> yeah. And then they go on to like try to explain what they have done, right? The government pledged to ac address systemic racism and committed to do so in a way informed by the lived experiences of racialized communities and indigenous peoples. I'm I'm thinking of the medium post written by Jessica Krug. <laughs> in her mea oh, culpa no. of how like it was all the great words right in the at the end of the day yes. she's just describing yes. describing of how she was completely just stealing black identity and hiding uh and hiding behind it and using it and 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 hurting people in the process and you know it's it's so fascinating to me that they just keep doing this and they keep doing this and that the NDP is not finding the way to call this out now. And and it's, it's very hard. Like Singh is in a very difficult position to be able to call out the liberals and fight racists, like just asking him questions. I know that a lot of the way that even journalists, especially journalists question Singh, like is racist. And so he's got to combat that. He's got to combat far right people fucking trying to arrest him in the streets. And he's also got to explain why the fuck this is all bullshit. But it, it it really is so important to, to, to break through because it shows that the liberals are so effective at taking popular uprisings, demanding specific 
things, right? You can also look at the 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 um, the National Inquiry on Murder to Missing Women and Girls because that was a massive undertaking by thousands of people who spent months and months and months talking and listening about like the 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 difficult, horrible, horrific things that have happened in this country to to Indigenous girls and women and then they do nothing with it they literally have a list of things that they could do and they do nothing with it and I guess like the final thing I'll say just on this point is you know you were mentioning that it's good that they'll collect information they'll collect more data and I I agree Um, my prediction is that they will not have StatsCan collect that data but they will do what they did with promising more gender-based statistical analysis as well, which was that they then fund the ministry of, in that case, of of gender and I forget what it's called, Ministry of Women and Gender something. Uh, They are supposed to collect that data. And so I bet that they're going to put this data onto the shoulders of the minister specifically focused on races, on diversity and inclusion, the way that that's written. and not give it to StatsCan. And the reason why that's a problem is because StatsCan are the experts in doing this. Ministries are not the experts in doing this. And it just doubles up work and it spends a whole bunch of money that could be better spent elsewhere. So we will pay attention to that. But that is my prediction on where they will have this data collected. Yeah, that and ministries are um, a lot easier to eliminate as soon as there's a a new government. You know, if StatsCan is doing work on a particular type of data collection, it's typically going to be something that they're doing over a period of years. They're looking at longitudinal data. So yes, you can stop StatsCan from from collecting a certain type of data, but it's going to be different than uh, stopping like the ministry, a particular ministry from its in, its existence, as conservatives tend to do if and when they get elected. And so, uh, putting putting the data collection uh, responsibility into StatsCan is protects the data a little bit more, mm-hmm. um, and just shows that they that they have a commitment to to having this data collected in a way that makes sense because because they are the experts. The other place where they did this sort of double speak stuff is where they talk about climate change in in the in the throne speech. They say, uh, I mean, the whole climate change piece is really just focused on. Um, big businesses. It's like, but but they they do say Canadians know that climate change threatens our health, way of life, and planet. They want climate action now, and that is what the government will continue to deliver. <laughs> okay, um, and they they say things like Canada cannot reach net zero without the know-how of the energy sector and the innovative (laughs) ideas of all Canadians. And then get this, including people in places like British Columbia, Alberta, Saskatchewan, and Newfoundland and Labrador. (laughs) What the fuck? So they're just basically like, Canada cannot reach net zero without the ideas of Canadians located across Canada. They're located everywhere, all these people with the innovative (laughs) ideas. And we're naming specifically British Columbia to appease those who are like really into saving the environment, Alberta to appease those who are really into saving the oil uh, sector (laughs) and so on. It's like it's such bullshit. Like that line alone is like so 
indicative of their commitment to do nothing. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It's just such bullshit. And it's like, I don't know, I'm, you know, here in California right now where they've just committed to stop selling gas powered cars by 2035, which is like also kind of a bullshit promise, but at least it's like a real kind of like it, it feels like something like some real fucking, uh, um, concrete change that you can like point to and here we're still talking about bullshit like two billion trees and tax cuts like hello like fuck all of the fires that have been happening across canada and the united states in the west everything that's been happening with sea levels rising and so on it's like it is it is way past way past tax credit time guys Way past two billion trees time. Like you need to do real shit. And they have zero real shit in this throne speech around this that uh, talks about how this is really a a crisis. Um, However, you know, they they do that double speak. They say that they know that this is what we're we're, uh, uh, as Canadians interested in. And it's just such bullshit. Yeah. So last week we or two weeks ago, I don't even remember, we gave the NDP like some notes for how they could like change the channel. Uh, they didn't they didn't take our advice. I mean, I know it's slow burn sometimes with them. So maybe they'll take it soon. <laughs> um, the the response from the NDP was was pretty good in that they were able to convince the government to improve uh, EI, the CERB to EI program, which was great. And they also convinced the, the liberals to have some number of paid sick days, which is great as well. Um, now, the bar was a bit low, though, because Singh is like the only non-prime minister who doesn't have COVID <laughs> right now. <laughs> so... <laughs> That, I mean, they got a lot of attention because, I mean, Aaron O'Toole had to do um, responses from, like, his home and and Blanchette. You know, the national media doesn't pay attention to Blanchette unless they have to. Um, and so, you know, what what does this really mean then going into a new session of parliament that will likely survive confidence votes? Clearly, the, the throne speech will the throne speech will be supported by at least the NDP, probably the Greens. And we'll see if the the other two parties are, are probably going to support it with two sick leaders or two leaders with COVID. I imagine they will. Um, so that means that we've got Justin Trudeau in place for another, I don't know, year, six months, at least. We have lived through the pandemic now for six months. There are there are ideas percolating among average people that did not exist there even eight months ago. And those ideas are some cases revolutionary. In some cases, they are obvious. In some cases, they would take Canada back to an era of the welfare state funding of public services and rebalancing inequality within society. And this is just such a disappointing and pathetic uh, throne speech. It's just so boring. And I really, I really hope, and I just don't have any faith, but I really hope that the NDP is the only kind of option here to be able to push anything forward. Although, I mean, the Green Party is in voting right now. If you haven't voted for the leader, if you're a member, make sure you do that. It is possible that the new Green Party leader might shake things up a little bit, but with a caucus of two, it's going to be unlikely, or sorry, a caucus of three. But I just, I'm just so like... Ugh, like, really? We needed more boring shit right now? Did we really need more boring shit or did we need some ideas that were, like, not boring? (laughs) Well, yeah, that's (laughs) one of the things. Like, I just, I thought this speech was so weird because they could have done 
so much like and it's also it's also the speech that is probably you know like you know it's a really important one with respect to whenever the next election is going to be I think and it doesn't do much it's like all of their creativity was ex- like expended in May when they made all of the promises for how they were going to support big businesses. <laughs> Just and they've got no more creativity left for the rest of us. And it fuck, it's not even creativity. You know what I mean? Like it's just real basic shit. It's like fuck. Uh, someone should have announced. Someone uh, liberals, uh, NDP should have said education needs to be free. <laughs> like someone should have said that that should have been a very yeah. obvious thing as I sit here as a student calculating all the minutes in which my professor's uh internets cut out uh and uh, with the attempt of like with the intention of sending my institution a bill for the, the fucking tuition they owe me it's like now is the time that they should have said you know education should be free they should mm-hmm. have said um not only Pharmacare, but they should have moved past pharmacare. They should have been talking about uh, free um, uh, measures with respect to paramedical programs, occupational health uh, issues, because you know people are continuing to work through the pandemic. Well, let's tie uh, our healthcare stuff to 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 work. The bigger issues, um, the other issues that people are experiencing, like. Why wouldn't we be talking now about offering massage and physical therapy uh, and uh, ergonomic therapies and so on, adding all of that uh, to a national health care plan? I mean, now is a really great time to do that. Uh, like, gosh, communications. Mm-hmm. There should absolutely be something in this throne speech or from the NDP as to how communications absolutely needs to be nationalized. Everyone right now is is uh, dependent on fucking internet companies to make sure that we can still communicate for our jobs, for school, and for just even even if we want to apply to some of these government programs. It's a necessity. If it's a fucking necessity, it should be nationalized. There should be a public program to offer it. There are these photos that I've referenced before of kids sitting in uh, fucking parking lots to access um, the free internet of like fucking Tim Hortons so that they can uh, attend school. Uh, because we don't have programs like this. Well, these are the big items that could have been announced during uh, a pandemic. And instead, what they've announced is their intention to do so much more of the same. And mark my words right now, whatever comes forward with respect to a child care plan, a national child care strategy is going to be the most complicated fucking thing ever. And only fucking 10% of parents are going to fucking be able to 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 qualify for for it because the liberals mm-hmm. know do not know how to do anything different. But yeah, God, like none of that shit that I just mentioned is even creative. It's just obvious. It's just obvious. And this period of time gave us such an opportunity to do these things and fuck, like they could have rebuilt transit across the country to make sure that less people had to rely on cars and so on. And uh, it's just all bullshit. It makes me so angry. 
Yeah. Yeah. And I just want to end with with like a very fine point on the biggest hole in the throne speech, uh, which also suggests it's a biggest hole in the minds of the of all politicians, because obviously the liberals are also trying to get at where the conservatives and the NDP and the Greens are. But the the way that they talk about what's happened in long term care is so, so in, 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 insufficient. Like, first of and all, the, the measure to address it. <laughs> Oh, yeah. Oh, I will get there. Yeah. It's like so the federal government literally has the power to appoint who controls one of the biggest operators where more than 100 people have died. I haven't looked at the latest numbers, but dozens and dozens and dozens of people have died within Rivera owned homes. And Rivera is managed by the Canada Pension Plan and the leadership of Rivera are appointed directly by orders and counsel by the fucking cabinet office of Justin Trudeau. So like. No mention of that. There's no mention of that. Instead, they talk about adding to the criminal code amendments to explicitly penalize those who neglect seniors as if like failing to provide the necessaries of life isn't already very clearly in the criminal code and used all the time, especially on poor parents. And so, you know, you've got this like incredible crisis where tons of people have died, right? We're at more more than 9,000 people have died. And all they have promised to do is to work with the provinces and territories to set new national standards and take additional action to help people stay in their homes longer, which, by the way, is actually not really a solution. It's like part of perhaps a broader strategy, but it's not like that's actually very expensive and very difficult. And then they've promised uh, to 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 give stu- uh, Canadians with disabilities access to more funding uh, supplements, which is really great and has been something that's been missing for this entire pandemic. But again, even that is insufficient and, and, and not enough. And so, you know, they have not learned that that long term care is their fault uh, that, you know, they can blame the, the provinces all they want. But we we just saw this incredible failure of public policy and the lack of attention on how the federal government is is culpable and how they will fix it is just proof that these folks do not give a fucking rat's ass about anybody's lives in this country if those lives aren't directly attached to people who make millions of dollars every year. 